Can we all rise? Let's stand. And then just uh, pray for yourself. God will speak to you uh, for today's sermon. And also pray for Pastor Joanne too. Where you are, just pray. Then after that, I will lead us. pray together. Lord, I know that you are here in our midst. You are moving in our midst and you want to speak to us. Oh Lord, I pray that you open our hearts, open our ears so that God we hear from you. You take away whatever distractions, whatever tiredness and remove it Father so that we can hear from you. I pray also for your anointing on Pastor Joanne as she delivers your word to conclude this series, I pray that God, you will fill her with the Spirit. Let her, fill, let her share with your power and your convictions. And that God, I pray that we will hear from you through her. We commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Hello, good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, today, we, today we wrap up our, our Revelation series on the letters to the seven churches. And, and we're going to look at the last letter, the, the letter to Laodicea. And you know these letters are a little bit like appraisal reports. For those of you who work, you know, you, you have your work review, your performance review with, with, with your boss. And, and it's always a, a bit of an interesting season, right? Because sometimes you, you think that you've done a lot of work, you know, you've met all your KPIs, um, you've done your best, uh, you took on a lot of projects, but you're not sure if your boss knows that as well, right? Like maybe we thought we, we did well, uh, but then we meet our boss and he's like, oh, the whole list of things that, that we, we didn't do well. Um, or, or maybe if you're a student, it's like when you get your report card, right? Or you, you know, maybe you think that you, you study really hard and you put in all the effort and then you see like a big fat C or so, something like that, right? Or, or it could be the other way around, right? It could be you, you thought that, um, oh, I, I'm screwed for this paper, you know, like I didn't study at all. And then like it turns out you, you passed with flying colors or or something like that, or in, in our work, maybe we felt like nervous when we went in to meet our boss, we thought, oh no, what's he going to say? Um, but he says, oh, I know, I know all that you've done, and I'm going to give you like a big fat bonus, or something like that, right? And, and I feel like these letters to the churches are a little bit like that, except that of course God is unlike our human bosses, and He is all-knowing, right? He knows perfectly, everything that we've done or not done, what, what we've done well in or not, he's, he's all-knowing, um, he sees everything, and, and you know, many times if you read these seven letters, you will see the phrase, I know, right? He says, Jesus says, I know, I know everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? For example, he tells the churches in, in Ephesus, in Pergamum, in Thyatira, I know, I know your, your, your deeds, I know your hard work, I know your perseverance, your faithfulness, but I also know the problems in your church. And sometimes the church appears on the outside to be one way, but the, 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 the reality is, 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 is not the same, right? Like Smyrna, Church of Smyrna, they seem to be in poverty. And, and Jesus says, I know your afflictions, but you are rich, right? Or last week we heard Sardis, okay? I, uh, you have a reputation of being alive, but Jesus says, no, I know your deeds and you're actually, you're dead. So Jesus knows. He knows everything. So let's, let's think about that as we read the letter to Laodicea. It's uh, found in Revelation chapter 3. You can turn there if you like or uh, it will be on the screen. 
Okay, so this is the letter. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, when we started off this series, um, Pastor showed us, showed us this uh, structure. He showed us this structure that the seven letters uh, roughly follow, right? The letters, they will usually start off with approval first, right? What the church has done well. Um, before, Jesus then tells them what they didn't do so well, um, the accusation. And then Jesus gives them some advice, some counsel, um, what they should do. Followed by an assurance for the one who is victorious or for the one who overcomes, the one who conquers. And finally, there's the same appeal in all seven letters. Whoever has ears, that will be all of us. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And last week and this week, Sardis and Laodicea, these are the worst churches, the only two that have no approval at all, right? Just accusation. Jesus has nothing to commend them for. And, and actually, the letter of Sardis still at least has this one line that says, yet you have a few people who have not sorted their clothes and they are worthy, right? But for Laodicea, absolutely nothing, nothing good about this church. It's like Jesus has saved the worst for the last, okay? And, and after he's, you know, he just launches straight into the accusation and it is serious. It's very serious. You know, if you've been in church long enough, you will know that Laodicea is known for being lukewarm. Right? It's fame or infamous for being lukewarm. Lukewarm, Laodicea. And this is the first thing that Jesus says about this church. Now, why is being lukewarm a bad thing? You know, if you are a coffee drinker, as I am, you will understand this completely. Right? I, I love coffee. Okay? I love it. Look at that. Beautiful. Right? And I think coffee perfectly illustrates the problem of being lukewarm. Right? Because you either drink hot coffee or you drink iced coffee. Nobody goes up and orders a cup of lukewarm coffee, right? This week, Pastor Chiming drank a cup of lukewarm coffee in the office. I told him he needs to repent. <laughs> you know, um, when, when, when I, I, I usually drink cold coffee because Singapore is so hot, right? And you know when it's cold, you can drink it very fast. The caffeine kicks in intensely and, and it's great, right? Um, or, or there are other days where you enjoy like a hot cup of coffee. It's, it's warm, it's comforting, it's rich, you can smell the aroma and all that. But lukewarm coffee is gross, <laughs> right? Some, I mean, I, <laughs> I love the taste of coffee, but somehow when it's lukewarm, it, somehow it's gross, right? It has to be either hot or cold. 
And, and actually, the Laodiceans in particular would understand this. Okay, they would understand the problem of being lukewarm because Laodicea was located near a city called Colossae, okay, where the Colossians are, and Colossae was known for its freshwater springs, cool water. Okay, so it's great for drinking, it's cool, it's refreshing. But Laodicea was also located near a place called Hierapolis, which was known for its hot mineral waters. Like people go there for hot baths, like the spa kind, right? So hot mineral water, supposed to have like therapeutic value and all that. So nearby, they had cold water and they had hot water. And the Romans, they built an aqueduct, like a, a canal or a pipe, to bring water from these nearby sources to Laodicea. The problem was, by the time the water reached Laodicea, it was neither hot nor cold. The hot water was not hot anymore. The cold water was not cold anymore. So it was just lukewarm, right? When the hot water is hot, it's good for um, medicinal purposes, right? You, 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 you take the bath and, and all that. And cold spring water is great for, for drinking. It's refreshing. But lukewarm water is not good for anything. In fact, by the time the water got there, right, it, and, and because it has such a high mineral concentration, if you tried to drink the water, you would spit it out. It makes you feel like you want to puke because it's gross because of all the mineral content. So that was the problem with the lukewarm water. It was useless and it was gross. And so when Jesus says, I wish you were either hot nor cold, he's not saying, I wish you were either passionate for Jesus or you just reject him completely. No, no, he's not saying that. It's, not, it's because the, both the cold water and the hot water serve a purpose. They serve different purpose, purposes, but they both serve a purpose. Whereas lukewarm water was useless. In the same way, a lukewarm church and lukewarm Christians are useless to the world. A lukewarm church is useless to the world. And being lukewarm is such a big problem that Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out. Right? Some translation says, I'm about to vomit you out. It's very graphic language. Right? Can you imagine Jesus saying that about a church or about you? It's savage. Right? It's, it's a sign of rejection. It's very harsh words. This is a church that made Jesus sick. What is it about spiritual lukewarmness that makes it so bad? You know, if you look up the word Laodicean in a dictionary... Um, I think people don't really use this word anymore. It's kind of an archaic, old-fashioned word. But the, the definition you will find is half-hearted and indifferent. And that's what Jesus meant when he called the church lukewarm. Half-hearted and indifferent. You see, the church of Laodicea, they were not people who flatly rejected the, um, Jesus. They were not people who defiantly went against and rebelled against his commands. But neither did they have the passion and the fervor of true lovers of Christ. They were just halfway, halfway in between. Neither hot nor cold, right? They followed that modern saying that we hear so often, everything in moderation, right? Christ had a moderate influence in their life. The Word of God moderately influences them. They didn't go too overboard, just moderately excited. Not too excited about the Creator of the universe, about the Savior who gave it all for us, they were just like, oh, okay, right? The church of Laodicea had settled into a comfortable Christianity. You see, they didn't have persecution, right? Like Smyrna and Philadelphia. They didn't have these big problems of idolatry, heresy, immorality, um, like some of the other churches. But neither did they have zeal and passion. 
it just had indifference, apathy. And you know, nothing kills a church spiritually more than this. It is an attitude of spiritual complacency, just like Elder Shing spoke of last week. When following Jesus and when our relationship with God doesn't make a huge difference in our lives, it doesn't transform us radically, and we don't burn with desire for more and more of God, we are not consumed by zeal for His house. And when people talk of these things, we just say, oh, that's, that's not my personality. Like, that's not my style. And then we settle into a comfortable Christianity. And being a follower of Jesus costs us nothing. It doesn't cost us much at all. It doesn't take us out of our comfort zone. We don't have that divine discontent with the status quo. And we're satisfied and fine wherever we are spiritually. We're fine with spiritual stagnation. And we never think and we never cry out, God, there must be more than this. The lukewarm church is spiritually self-satisfied. And today as we look at this letter, we have to ask ourselves, especially for some of us who've been Christians for a long time, is this me? Is this me? You know, maybe, maybe we're not backsliding or anything, right? We still come to church. Maybe we serve. But we don't follow hard after Jesus. And we don't pursue Him with all our might and all our hearts. He is not the all-consuming treasure of our hearts and our exceedingly great reward, as we sang. Maybe, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not like murdering people, we're not sleeping around or anything. But we're also not loving people selflessly. We're not finding every opportunity to share the gospel with people. We don't really delight in the Word of God, devote ourselves to prayer. We don't worship with reckless abandon. And we're just li like that, law, right? We're spiritually, okay, law. How are you doing spiritually? Oh, okay, law. And we're satisfied with that. We're fine with that. We've become lukewarm, right? Maybe we've become, we've, we've grown half-hearted in the matters of eternity, in the matters of life and death. And we hear in church or we read, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And we're like, uh-huh, yeah, I know that. We hear that the God of the universe, creator of heaven and earth, He loves you personally. He's your Father. He loves you so much. He knows every detail of your life. He knows even the number of hairs on your head. And we say, uh-huh, yeah I, yeah, I know that. And we're just indifferent. We're indifferent to these truths. We're indifferent to these magnificent truths of the Word of God. You know, a lukewarm church is useless to the world, just like the lukewarm water of Laodicea was useless. You see, a lukewarm church is just a religious social club. It is not salt and light of the world. It is not a city on a hill, as we are called to be. A lukewarm church is, is maybe good for people to make some friends, attend some events, some activities, but that's about it. And when we are a lukewarm church, when we're lukewarm Christians, we don't offend anyone. We don't step on anyone's toes. We don't offend anyone. But neither do we win anyone. And Jesus says to this church, to lukewarm Laodicea, I'm about to spit you out. The church in Laodicea, they were spiritually self-satisfied. They were spiritually indifferent. They were also self-sufficient. They were independent of God. They thought they were doing fine. 
fine on their own, managing good. They said, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. I do not need a thing. You know, Laodicea was a very wealthy city. It was a commercial hub, um, financial set center of Asia Minor, and, and they were so rich that there was one year where um, there was an earthquake that, that destroyed the city, and the Roman government said, okay, I'm going to give you some money to, to rebuild your city. And they said, no, 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 we're fine. We have so much money, we'll rebuild our city ourselves. No big deal, right? That's how rich they were. Laodicea was also famous for a special breed of sheep okay, that was found nowhere else. This sheep produced soft, shiny, jet black wool okay, that was sold for a high price, um, used to make like luxury clothes. And, and people would come from all over the world to buy this beautiful wool. Right? So that's why the city, that's another reason why the city was so rich. Laodicea was also a medical hub. Okay, they had a great medical school, um, great hospital, and, and they were famous for producing drugs and, and, and medicine. And, and particularly, they were famous for producing this eye salve, which was so good, it was supposedly even cure blindness. Okay, so people came from all over the world to be healed, um, and especially for the eye diseases. So basically, this city was a city of health and of wealth. And, and, you know, in the same way that the city told the Roman government, no, no, we don't need your money, we're so rich, we're fine on our own. In the same way, the church of Laodicea had that attitude towards God, and they failed to see their need for God. And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we live in a city that's not too different from Laodicea, right? We are, we are a successful commercial hub, uh, high GDP per capita, you know, we're, we're a medical hub, right? Currently, everyone's praising us for the way we're handling this coronavirus situation, right? We're, we're a health and wealth city as well. And if we think about it, the church of Singapore and even the church of PPH, we're, we're mostly and generally upper middle class, right? Very few people here are like living on the poverty line, right? We're either rich or we are we're at least, at the very least, we are financially comfortable, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with being rich, right? But one of the dangers of being wealthy and successful is that you start to think that you can take care of everything on your own. You lose sight. You lose sight of the need to trust God. And we forget that everything that we have comes from Him. That we are completely and utterly dependent on Him. When we have plenty, it's easy to forget that apart from God, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Apart from Him, we have no good thing. And our attitude becomes like the Laodicean church and we say, I am rich, I do not need a thing, I have it all. It's all under control, I'm managing it all. And I think sometimes we live our lives like this, right? We just, we do our own thing, we make our own plans, we make our own decisions, right? We're independent people. Maybe sometimes if we remember, we say a quick prayer, almost like an afterthought or like an insurance, like just like a religious obligation. But really deep down inside, we don't think and we don't realize just how desperately we need Jesus. Because we think that we can manage our lives pretty well on our own. In fact, that's actually the reason a lot of my friends um, don't respond to the gospel. Because they're educated people, they're, they're, you know, they're financially comfortable, they're generally just doing well in life, and they cannot see their need for a savior because they're self-sufficient. But even as believers, 
we sometimes forget that we are not self-sufficient. One of the ways that this can be seen is the way we neglect prayer, right? Because we are driven to our knees only when we feel that we really, really need God. And, and I will confess that, that I struggle with this. You know, this week I prayed a lot uh, because I have to preach today, right? <laughs> we are driven to our knees only when we feel that we really need God. When we are self-satisfied, when we are self-sufficient, when we think we are rich and we do not need anything, that's when you stop praying. You stop spending time with God. Prayer is born out of spiritual desires and spiritual desperation. And when we, when we neglect prayer, it shows that we, we have zero spiritual desires. We have no need for God. When we cannot make time to pray and prayer is simply an afterthought rather than a priority in our lives, it's because we have no idea and we don't understand just how desperate and needy we are. We really are. And, and the Laodicean church thought like that. They were rich. They thought they were rich. They were not needy. But Jesus says, you are terribly wrong. You do not realize, you do not realize the truth about yourselves. You are indifferent, you are independent, and you're ignorant. You're self-satisfied, you're self-sufficient, you're self-deceived. You think you're fine, when really you are about to be spit out. Jesus says, you think you are wealthy, successful, and rich. When the truth is you are spiritually impoverished, you are poor. You think you have that fine black wool to make luxurious clothes, but really, you are spiritually naked. You know, it's like that story of the, the emperor with new clothes. You know that story? Where he's walking around, he thinks he's dressed in like the finest garments, when really all he is doing is parading his shameful nakedness. And Jesus says, really, you are spiritually naked. You are bare. And also, you are spiritually blind. Your material prosperity, your self-sufficiency has clouded your vision that you are blinded to your true spiritual state. You know, they are, they are the city, the city of Laodicea, they were famous for treating eye diseases, right? People came to Laodicea for healing of physical blindness when in the church, there was a big problem of spiritual blindness. That's what Jesus is saying to them. You are lukewarm, you are indifferent, you think you're independent, you're self-sufficient, when really, you have no idea, you do not realize just how wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked you are. You know, this is, this is a very harsh letter, right? It is very harsh words. But you know, I believe, I really believe that this letter is just as relevant to us today. See, the truth, brothers and sisters, is that all of us here, every single one of us here, we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. For all of us, it's whether we realize it or not. And many of us, especially if we've been believers for a long time, it's easy to forget this. Because on the outside, right, we generally look like decent, respectable Christians. Right? We think we become church, you know, we, are, we, we serve, we don't kill anyone, we don't like embezzle money or, or anything, and we're actually pretty good people. And we forget that at the core of it all, we are wretched sinners saved only by the grace of Jesus Christ. We forget that at the core of it all, our hearts are deceitful beyond cure. That we have zero righteousness of our own apart from Jesus Christ. That we have no hope, no goodness to boast of apart from Jesus Christ. And it can be so easy for us 
to settle into a comfortable Christianity, thinking that on our own, we're doing fine. We're managing our lives okay. You know, we're not struggling with any, like, big secret sin or anything. We're okay. But friends, when we come before a holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, you may be a really decent and nice person by the world's standards, but compared to our holy and perfect God, no one can stand. We are all wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know, if you read the start of this letter, the Apostle John, Revelation chapter 1, he sees a vision of Christ and he falls to his feet as though he was dead. If you read Isaiah, Isaiah 6, right, the great prophet Isaiah comes into the presence of God and what he says is, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah chapter 64 says that our righteousness are like filthy rags. Our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Whatever shred of goodness we may have or think we have are really like filthy rags in the presence of our holy God. And you know, this is something that I, I, I have to remind myself all the time because I've been a Christian for, for more than 30 years. I, I was practically born in this church. I grew up here, attended all my life. I've been serving for, for, for many years. You know, I, I work as, as, as a pastor now. But you know, the more... I, I desire to grow as a disciple of Jesus. To be honest, the more I realize that truly I am wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know, like maybe outwardly, I look like, like a, I look nice, and <laughs> I look like a decent Christian. But you know, when Jesus shines his light of truth into my life, into all the hidden, deep areas of my life, and when the truth of Christ exposes my heart, my thoughts, my deeds. There, there's no argument. I am wretched. There is still so much pride and, and insecurity and hypocrisy, self-centeredness, greed in my life. And so as, as I share this with you today, this is not meant to condemn you or, or guilt trip you or make you feel bad or whatever. But friends, this is really basic gospel truth that we are fallen human beings who cannot save ourselves. And for anyone who wants to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ, when we sang just now, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Anyone who wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the first step is acknowledging and recognizing just how sinful and inadequate we are and acknowledging how much we need Him. Because unless, unless you understand just how wretched you are, you will never fully understand and appreciate the depth and the extent of God's love and God's grace for us. Especially when he went to the cross. That Jesus sees the depths of our heart and loves us the same and went to the cross regardless. That he sees the depths of our depravity, the Son of God, the King of Kings, and still he loved us so much that he made himself nothing, became a human. He humbled himself willingly to be mocked, spat on, flogged, and to hang on a cross for the sake of wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked people like us. And that is why we sing that old hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and like you until we realize how hopeless we are in ourselves and how wonderful 
we've been made in Christ because of His radical love and His amazing grace. Until we realize that, we will remain lukewarm and indifferent and half-hearted. And you know, it is because God loves us so much that He doesn't just point out what is wrong with the church and then like, He's going to spit you out, blow you to smithereens or something. It's a harsh letter, but he says this in verse 19. Those whom I love, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And Jesus says, I'm scolding you because I love you. You know, when my siblings and I were growing up, sometimes, you know, our mom would like scold us for all the like dumb things we do, right? And then at the end, at the end, she'll make us say, Thank you for scolding me. And, and you know, when, when I was young, I was like, seriously. Okay, but, but now, now that I'm a parent, um, I understand it. <laughs> I understand it. Um, that, you know, I scold you because I love you, right? Because you see, if you really love someone, you scold them when they're wrong. Because you love them too much for them to remain in that wretched, pitiful state. You love them too much for them to remain there, right? Imagine if a parent never disciplines a child. Like, what would happen to that child? And you know, a judge merely disciplines, but a father, our good and perfect father, and our parent disciplines. It's not just punishment, it's discipline. The father disciplines, and the father says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So, be earnest and repent. That is how his advice for us. Be earnest and repent. And to be earnest is the exact opposite of being lukewarm. To be earnest is to be enthusiastic, zealous, wholehearted, and diligent. And Jesus says, repent, turn back. Turn. Turn from your self-satisfaction. Turn from your self-sufficiency, from your self-deception. Turn back to Christ. This is the advice and counsel that Jesus gives to lukewarm Laodicea. Turn back to Jesus. And in verse 18, Jesus says, Instead of thinking that you have everything that you need, come to me for what you really, really need, which is this, gold refined in the fire, white clothes to cover your shameful nakedness, and eye salve that you might see. You see, these were all the things that the city was famous for. It was famous for money, for, you know, wool that made nice clothes. It was famous for eye salve. And Jesus is saying, you think, you think you have it all. You think you have all these things. But really, what you really and truly need is found only in me. True riches and true wealth is found in Jesus Christ. Not in money. You know, Laodicea had their famous black wool, right? But Jesus says, I have white clothes. And, and if you read Revelation, white clothes is mentioned several times. Right? It is a symbol of, of purity. It is a symbol of the redeemed. The, the elders, the faithful martyrs, the armies of God, they're all dressed in white. And Jesus says, you need my righteousness as white clothes to cover your shameful nakedness. And finally, he says, come to me for eye salve. What they needed was not the Laodicean eye salve to cure their physical blindness, but Jesus to cure their spiritual blindness. See, the church of Laodicea, they thought they didn't need anything. But they did not realize that the things that they truly need are only found in Christ. And so how do we buy these things, 
right? How do we buy these things if we are poor, blind, and naked? And I think the answer is in, in verse 20, right? Revelation 3.20 says, here I am. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You see, you want all these things from Jesus. You cannot go out. You have to ask him in. You cannot work for this gold and clothes and salve. You have to pray and ask for it. You have to let Jesus into your life because Jesus has already paid the price. He has bought us with his blood. You have to let him in. You know this verse, um, usually we quote it as like an evangelism view, right? We tell the non-Christians, you know, uh, Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, you know, let him in and, and all that, right? But the real context of this verse is Jesus talking to the church. He's talking to Christians, to lukewarm Christians who think that they need nothing more of Christ. Christians who keep the door of the inner room of their lives shut. And the great tragedy of the Laodicean church is that Jesus is not even inside the church. He's outside at the door asking to be let in. Can you imagine week after week at the church services, all the Christian stuff that they do, and Jesus is not even there. And actually the greater tragedy is that the Laodicean church does not even realize this. No one sees and no one hears that Jesus is outside trying to get in because they are so self-satisfied, they're self-sufficient, they just continue with their church programs, activities, without the Lord, and they're fine. It seems like such a basic thing to say, right? But we need to allow Jesus into our lives. And that is the advice that Jesus gives in this letter. Repent and turn back to Him for what we truly need. The wealth and the riches of Christ, the robes of His righteousness, and the wisdom to see things as God does. Let Jesus in. Let him be the Lord. Let me just ask the band to come up. After the accusation, after the advice, in every letter comes an assurance. And this is the assurance. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, at the end of every of these seven letters, there is an assurance for the one who is victorious, for the one who overcomes, the one who conquers. And here in this last letter, when Jesus says, just as I was victorious, we are reminded that the reason why we have all these assurances is because of the ultimate victor, the ultimate conqueror and the ultimate overcomer, Jesus Christ our Lord. It is because at the cross, Jesus won the victory for us. He conquered sin and the devil. He overcame the grave. And his offer here is that the victorious ones will be seated on the throne with him. It's amazing. He says, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But if you will conquer and overcome your lukewarmness, your self-satisfaction, your indifference, your half-heartedness, and you will be seated on the throne with Christ. And the only way we can do this, the only way we can get all these reassurances is if we are earnest and we repent and we acknowledge that apart from Him, apart from Him, we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. And we have to let Jesus in and allow the 
power of Christ to dwell in us. You know, as we, as we close this series, if you look at the beginning of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, right? John writes that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. A revelation of Jesus Christ. And every letter to the seven churches, it starts, actually it starts with a particular attribute of Christ, right? It will say like, these are the words of Him who is the faithful and true witness, the first and the last who died and came to life again, the one who has the, du- the sharp double-edged sword, the one who holds the key of David. What he shuts, no one can open. What he opens, no one can shut. These are the words of the ruler of God's creation. And all these descriptions, they correspond to the vision of Christ that John gets in Revelation chapter 1, where he sees the glorified Christ, eyes like blazing fire, his voice like the sound of rushing thunders, his face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. And in the rest of Revelation as well, we see all these things. We read all these things like the angels and the elders, they fall down before Christ and they sing. They never stop singing, worthy, 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 holy, holy, holy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And my prayer is that after we read through these seven letters, that we will be gripped not so much by the problems and the situations of these churches and and correspondingly the problems of our lives, but really by the glory and the beauty and the worthiness of our victorious Saviour, Jesus Christ. Like what Elder Shing said last week, that we would wake up to the magnificence of Jesus Christ. That we would have a fresh revelation of Christ. Because my friends, when we have a revelation of Him, when our eyes are open to the majesty and holiness and greatness of our Lord, there is no way that we will remain indifferent and half-hearted and lukewarm. When we see the power and majesty of Jesus Christ, there is no way we will think we're doing fine on our own without Him. And so today, as we, as we wrap up the sermon and as we wrap up the series, I hope we will pay attention to the appeal, the appeal of Jesus. You know, all the letters end with this same appeal. They say, whoever has ears, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I want to ask right now, would we all just take a moment to come before God and ask, what is the Spirit saying to our church and to me? What is the Spirit saying to me today? Am, am, am I lukewarm? Is my spiritual life settled into a comfortable routine where, where we forget just how wretched we are without Christ? Right? Have we been indifferent, self-satisfied, thinking that we don't need a thing without realizing that, that really we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? And God is looking for wholehearted disciples, not half-hearted devotion. And so I urge you today, church, would we respond to God today? Let's be earnest and repent and would we turn back to Jesus? We're going to end our service by singing this song. You know, it's, it's, it's really based on the book of Revelation. And it says that Jesus is worthy 
worthy, worthy of all praise, worthy of all worship, and worthy of our wholehearted devotion, worthy of our lives, worthy of our obedience, worthy. Shall we just rise? And let's sing this song and, and declare the worthiness of Jesus Christ. And, and I want to open the altar as well. As we declare the worthiness of Jesus Christ, if the Spirit is speaking to you today and convicting you of your need to, to surrender afresh, to open your eyes once more, to see the beauty and majesty and holiness and worthiness of our Lord Jesus Christ, to acknowledge that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Apart from Him, we have nothing. And if you want to respond today, would you just come to the front and, and, and lay your lives before Him again and surrender in Him. Let's worship. worthy
church, let's declare it day and night, night and day, that we will never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. You are the one who was and is and is to come. You are the true and faithful witness. Jesus, we worship you. We lay our lives before you. We say that you are worthy. Day and night. I want to close with doxology from Revelation chapter 1. It says, Grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before His throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory 
and power forever and ever. God, we say that we owe you everything. God, we say that we, we have no good thing apart from you. That God, we have no righteousness, no hope, no goodness apart from you. And so God, we look to you. God, would you open our eyes to see your beauty, your majesty, your glory, and your power. That with our lives, we will say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy to receive glory and honor and power. God, we say that everything we have comes from you. And even at the end of the service, as we bring to you our offering, we bring to you what is only yours. God, we offer you our money, our tithes, our offerings, but also our lives in gratitude for all that you have done for us. God, would you remind us of our need for our Savior. And we thank you that, Jesus, you are our Savior, our Lord, and our King. That, God, you are our good Father who sees the depths of our heart and loves us the same. So, God, would you take our lives, take our offering for the glory of your kingdom and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we leave the service today, um, just a reminder to put your offering in the boxes as well as to throw your communion cups at the back. See you next week.